1: FM. Today's guest is Mark Butler, and he's a budget loving finance nerd. (laughs) He's also acts as a bookkeeper, CFO and confident for his clients. And we're going to talk about money and shame. And so we're going to have this great conversation about it. Well, you know me, I like to talk about shame. And then make sure you circle back all the way to the end because there's actually a little clip that we added on to the interview to clarify some stuff. All right, I will circle back after this show, and thanks so much for listening. Mark, hello and welcome to my show.
0: Hi, Corinne. Thanks for having me.
1: So I'm excited to talk to you about money and shame.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm probably one of the only people that are excited to talk about shame. <laughs> but I think it's it's like the pink elephant in the room, and money such a shame trigger for people. And you work with people and have a lot of experience of, people and their money stories. So what do you see with money and shame?
0: You know, I spend most of my time dealing with small business owners and their money. And so I think a lot of people would, would hear that and expect that, that the work I do is just nuts and bolts. It's just profit and loss statements, balance sheets, and forecasting and projections. And They would think that it would kind of stop there because it's mostly in a business setting that I'm talking about money. But what I have found is it turns out business owners are humans too, right? I mean, business owners are people too. So a lot of the work we end up doing and a lot of the conversations we end up having are about the feelings they have about the business's finances. Now, from client to client, some people are a lot more in touch with, with that and a lot more willing to have that kind of conversation others not so much. But at the end of the day, the numbers on the spreadsheet really are just uh, they're kind of a lagging indicator of what's going on with that person's feelings about her money or his money. Ooh, say more about that. Well, it just shows up, you know, people, when I bring on a new client into my service, I will usually go back and look at about a year worth of their financial data. And, um, at this point, having done it dozens of times, I can have a pretty good sense of how a person feels about money by going through a year worth of transactions. Does that surprise you?
1: No. So can you give us some examples? I mean, I know not confidentiality, but sure. How do you, what are examples of how people feel about money?
0: Well, they're scared. We all have some some level of fear around our money, that there won't be enough, or that we'll make mistakes with it. Um, but it also the way we use our money says a lot about how we feel about ourselves. So if I am bringing a new client into my service, and I see that this person, you know, buys uh, what would be a good example. Um, I have some clients who who love to buy educational programs,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I'm all for that. You know, I, of course, I love a, a good educational program, but when I see that a client has bought tons and tons of educational programs, maybe high ticket coaching programs, um, this this sort of thing, if I see that it's happening really, really often, then it's just sort of a it's an indicator to me. And when I talk to them, I might say, "So, tell me about all the coaching." And in talking to them, I'll find out that they really don't trust in their ability yet. So they feel like they have to always be learning. And they and it's one thing to feel like you need to always be learning. Of course, that's valid. But it's another thing to feel like you can't succeed without filling some unknown hole in your knowledge or um, you know your experience. Instead of just saying, well, I'll learn that as I go. Does that make sense? No, it makes
1: total sense. And I think so... One of the thi- one of the th- things that I talk a lot about is boundaries are containers of safety, mm. and I see this happen a lot with, like as you're talking about, you know, people are like, oh, I've got to get this credential, or I've got to go, get, you know, take this course, or, mm-hmm. but there's only so much that we can actually implement, and so putting that boundary, that container of safety, so it's like, okay, w- what am I going to commit to? What am I? What do, if I'm going to go and take this training? What mm-hmm. am I gonna, you know, learn from it? What do I think I am gonna learn from it? Who knows what the outcome will actually be, right? Mm-hmm. What am I willing to commit to? Because I've been one that I'd be like, oh, I want to buy this and oh, I want to buy that, but then I don't do the work, right? It's like the I always talk about the books that I used to always buy before I had the show nine years ago that sat on my nightstand, right? I read the books now because I have a guest coming on. Um, or because I have created um, a container of safety for that book where I will commit to reading it. But I'm mm. much more choosy now about which books that I will actually buy because it's like, well, am I going to buy it so it sits on the stand? Or am I going to buy it and actually read it? Because a lot of times I want to buy it so it sits on the stand and you know, theoretically it would just go into my brain. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right by osmosis. Um, yeah, it, I see people all the time who – instead of being very intentional and thoughtful about those kinds of purchases no matter how small or big what what we end up exposing in the conversations we have is that they're spending money to avoid dealing with other things so in a in personal finances that shows up in you know any sort of excess consumption and by the way i'm not anti consumption i I'm all for consuming the things that bring you joy, make you happy, you know, enrich your relationships, things like that. So when we talk about excess consumption, it's it's buying things to sort of medicate to fill a hole that you mm-hmm. probably need to fill in a in a healthier way. So for some of us, that's shopping for some of us it's it's eating out for some of us it's it's a hobby that we pour, we pour money into at the expense of other things that probably matter more in the short term and the long term. in a business setting that shows up in buying these educational programs. Um, It shows up in hiring staff that we haven't been very thoughtful or intentional about needing, but we hire them because we're trying to avoid. In a business setting, it's typically that we're trying to avoid doing work that scares us. In a personal setting, it's, it's the same thing. It's just not, you know, we're trying to, in a personal setting, it's probably that we're trying to avoid doing mental or emotional work or relationship work that scares us. In a business setting, It could be as simple as it's easier and more fun to buy a program or to hire a new team member than it is to make a sales call or, you know, work on systems in my business internally instead of looking externally for answers. So spending can be a pretty serious avoidance mechanism and that shows up in spending patterns.
1: Yeah, and I think about that as, again, like where are you rooted? You know, if you're rooted in, you know, shame or fear and you take that action, you're not going to really accomplish what it is that the promise of that product or, you know, whatever it is that purchase that you're doing. Versus if you're rooted in compassion, compassionate people have boundaries. And you say, like, again, with the book, for instance, if I say, okay, this is a book that I'm going to buy. And I'm going to read it. I'm gonna to commit to reading it. I will commit to, you know, carving out time for this and this will be a priority. And then you read it. Right. And or a program or whatever it is that you're going to do and working through it. But that's it there there seems to be a difference, at least with the work that I do with people, is where if where you're rooted and how that action, then the same action creates different results. Are you following me? Am I making sense?
0: Yeah, it makes perfect sense. It's about intent. Mm-hmm. And and it's about being honest with yourself about your intent. If you catch yourself in the moment that you're planning to make a purchase and you really dig in on what the intent is, and if you, on the one hand, if you say, well, my intent is actually to solve a real problem and I know that the purchase I'm making will solve that problem, Mm -hmm. then you can make that purchase happily and without guilt if you acknowledge to yourself that you're making that purchase out of some sense of fear or boredom or whatever it is, loneliness, then the purchase will just make those feelings worse as opposed to resolving them. So the very best thing you can hope for in that situation is just a very temporary kind of spending buzz that that goes away so quickly that it doesn't begin to solve the problem that really needs to be addressed. So yeah, intent matters Intent matters a ton. And when people buy things, when they spend money or time for that matter, that's another scarce resource that we all have. But when, when we spend our scarce resources with a poor intent or in, with an intent, an intent that's not in alignment with what we really care about, what really matters to us, then that's where the shame actually starts and grows. So by the time I usually am talking to a person – What's funny is that i I feel very, I feel totally unemotional about their numbers. So when I say, "Hey, welcome to my service," I'm so happy to be working with you. I need access to all the accounts so that I can look at all the transaction history, and just sort of get up to speed on how the money flows in this business. And that freaks people out, mm-hmm. and, it, and it took me a while to realize why they were so freaked out because I was so matter of fact. I didn't give them any context. I didn't preface it. I was just like, yeah, so now give me all the numbers. And people would start apologizing, they would start disclaiming. I mean, this is before I had ever seen anything. And then after a while I was thinking, well, of course. You know, they they're opening they're opening their world to me. Of course they're freaked out about it, especially if they know that they've been making lots of these purchases without an aligned intent. And they feel embarrassed and ashamed of of having made all those little decisions that weren't really in alignment with what they cared about. And now they're they have this guy, this stranger, saying, "Well, yeah, just show me all of it. Just bear all of it to me." And it freaks people out. I had one client say to me once, like, "Listen, dude, this is weird. Like, I feel like you're some strange man rooting around in my underwear drawer." <laughs> <laughs> and I was. I think that was a big moment for me where I said, "Okay, I'm not." I'm not using the right language to set this to set this up so that they know that they're just numbers on a screen. You know, this isn't who you know. The decisions you've made have contributed to feelings and habits in your life, but that's not who you are. I'm not I'm not about to tell you that you're a bad person because you have a shopping habit or whatever it is. I, I just want to look at the numbers so we know where we're starting from.
1: So your thing is not to define them by the choices that they made or their relationship with money. No,
0: no. I mean, I don't define myself that way. I, w- I historically have been a mess with my money. But I don't, I don't judge people by the way they've behaved with money because I don't judge myself that way either. I used to. I used to have this chronic feeling about myself that I'm not good at money. I'm bad at money. And then I would look at my my finances and I would just see proof. Proof, yeah, you are. Sure enough, you're terrible with money. Once I was educated in a better way of dealing with my money, I realized that I was, I'm great at money when I'm dealing with good information about it. So when I used to consider myself really bad with money, it's because I was chronically kind of in and out of credit card debt, never really had much of a cash reserve, um didn't really have any awareness of where my money was going. I just sort of had this attitude of it'll all work itself out. I guess I'll I'll earn more money to deal with the spending that I just did. But it created a bunch of ignorance about, you know, the ignorance created doubt and guilt, which then turned into this idea that I'm just bad at money. Well, then I got a better system. And what I found out was that if I had all the facts in front of me, then I made really good decisions with, about my money. And so what that looked like was budgeting, you know, that, the dirty B word, budget. And what it meant was I, I had a list of all of the needs and wants that were competing for my dollars. And I had an opportunity to say, do I want my dollars to go there or do I want my dollars to go over there? And I'm choosing. And I, and I own the fact that when I choose this one, I'm letting go of that one. And as I started to make those choices with clarity, I realized I'm really good at money. So it was just a matter of having the right information and making decisions with that information. And that whole story of being bad at money was just gone, kind of from one month to the next.
1: Well, it sounds like you weren't sticking your head in the sand going, oh, well, I'm going to just I'm going to hold on to the story of I'm just bad at money and put my head in the sand and go on about. And in those moments, either throw my arms up in despair and or other moments be like, "Okay, I'm just going to make more money. It's like the yo-yo dieter. Totally. Right. Who's like, well, I just binged eat all day. So tomorrow I'm not going to eat or tomorrow I'm going to work out for three hours.
0: Yeah, that's. That's absolutely how I was dealing with my money and how so many people deal with their money, where they have, um, they're have they on that roller coaster. So the holidays come, they blow the doors off the holidays with gifts and, and events and everything like that. And the whole time, they have this kind of nagging anxiety growing about all this spending. And they're thinking to themselves, OK, what am I going to do in January? Well, OK, I'm going to get the tax refund that'll help. That'll probably cover most of it. I have a bonus coming at work that'll probably pay off the rest of it. And they're just having to do all these calculations in their head, mm-hmm. deal with the anxiety that comes from all that, and it really dampens the enjoyment they can get from the spending that they're doing. So, I was that way too. My head was in the sand, and then I finally said, "I'm actually just going to pull my head, pull my head out of the sand." <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pull my head out of the sand. And I'm going to acknowledge the fact that, you know what, every year at the holidays, I like to do the following things. You know, I like to eat out a lot more at the holidays. I like to buy gifts. I like to go to functions. I I like to do these things. It means something to me. It matters to me. So I'm going to set myself up to enjoy those things. Well, how do I do that? Well, I have two choices. I can do the old way, and the old way is to put it all in a credit card and then use the tax refund and the bonus and, and this and that to eventually pay off the credit card and stay on that cycle every year. Or in January, February, March, and so on, I can say, I'm going to have, you know, by December 1st, I'm going to have fill-in-the-blank number. I'm not going to give a number because pe- different people have different numbers, and there's not a right one in my mind. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have some number... And I'm going to have every one of those dollars labeled holiday fun. And that can be Christmas gifts, and it can be eating out extra, and it can be trip to Cancun at the holidays. I don't care what it is, but you're taking ownership of that desire way back in January and February, and you're funding that desire every month. So in January, January is paying for its share of December's holiday fun. And when you do that, and December arrives
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's like you you never knew you can enjoy the holidays that much. You always enjoyed the holidays, but now it's like somebody lifted a the blanket off of them I mean it's like, whoa, this is amazing I had a contrast two two examples here ironically both of the both of the people in the story are real estate agents, mm-hmm. both very high-earning real estate agents, very successful. One happens to really enjoy uh, tropical vacations with their family. And so they do a big tropical vacation, I think, every other year. And when they do, 100% of that trip goes on a credit card. And they spend the next couple of years wrestling with that debt, hoping to have it zeroed before they take the next trip. Ouch. And when they tell me this story, they're they're so, you can just see how conflicted they are because, on the one hand, they love these trips and they're rich family experiences that build memories. And on the other hand, you know, the husband in this relationship said to me, every time I swipe the card while we're in this beautiful place, there's this little voice in my head that says, I'm going to have to deal with this later. And he does have to deal with it later. You know, it's, so it really, sort of puts a damper on the whole thing. Now, what about my other realtor friend who sent, uh, sent me a text when he was at the airport with his wife, his kids, and his grandkids saying, we're headed to Hawaii. The entire trip is paid for. We've never done this before. I can't even believe how excited I am. Because there wasn't this financial Paul kind of hanging over the whole event, the whole activity. He was able to just say everything they were going to do, some dollars had been labeled for that thing leading up to the event, so they could spend them, you know, in pure joy with no guilt, no, no worry about what was going to be coming up in the future. How are they going to deal with this debt? So that's what I'm saying when I, when I said you you take your head out of the sand, you own the spending that you do and your shame goes away once you start to make decisions with today's dollars based on the things that you really care about. So if you really care about shoes, I think that's great. People have the wrong idea that once you start to quote unquote budget, you know, <laughs> deprivation. All fun, it's deprivation. It is a diet. You know, it's like, "Well, I'm going to go on a budget." And it's it's the worst thing that ever happened. Well, if if I could sit with every individual out there and say, we're going to make a budget. But whatever you think that means, you're wrong. Because I want you to tell me right now, what is the thing that you love most to spend your money on? I don't care what it is. You tell me what it is. It could be clothes, it could be eating out, it could be vacation, it could be gifts for, for people you care about. Just tell me the thing you care about most and let's give that thing a bunch of dollars first. Now, we may have to take some of those dollars back. I don't know yet. I have to look at all the other things that are going on in your life that, that you care about. But we're going to fund that thing first as a way of proving to you that the budget exists to facilitate the things that you care about, not the weird ideas that you have about what you should or shouldn't do in your budget based on some hardcore personal finance book that you read at some point or something like that. You, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, it's the don't don't have the cup. I mean, one of my favorite things is good coffee. Yeah, and um, but you know there was that whole don't drink the latte, save that five dollars, right? Yeah, and there's a lot of stuff like I purposely I'm not a big drink, alcohol drinker, anyways, but I will not drink wine because my coffee expense is quite huge for mm-hmm. well for coffee, you know, but um, <laughs> that just will only lead to very expensive wine, <laughs> so I've just decided. Again, the boundaries as the container of safety, right? right? It that's just not occasionally if I have wine, that's one thing, but that's not it that's not even a boundary that I want to go to because I really enjoy the coffee, but it also fits in line with the values of my how I want to spend my money. Right. And then I think about the realtor person that you're talking about who had the trip paid off before they left. And again, that's that boundary that with a container of safety. They can go and they can really just have this great time. There's not this energy drag of guilt and remorse and, you know, how am I going to do this? And I've got to figure it out. So they're not even enjoying the vacation. They're either future forecasting or, you know, past regretting.
0: Yes. hundred percent. And that, that perpetuates the shame that you feel around your money. Uh, So when people, when people are trying to figure out you know, there's sort of, we all look outside for kind of clues as to how we should feel. Mm -hmm. So we get from maybe from the media, from, from our frugal friends, you know, that the the whole latte factor story, which is ridiculous actually, because I mean, I don't care if you spend $10 a day on coffee and that's, that's $3,650 per year. I actually don't care because what people don't realize. As they're so caught up in in other people's ideas about what's appropriate with money, and they're caught up in their own shame and their own attitude about I'm not good at money, what they don't realize is it doesn't matter if it doesn't matter how you spend any individual dollar if you spend it in context,
1: mm-hmm.
0: not just in context of all your other spending, but also in context of your earning. So some people are are really. And I th- it's another manifestation of shame in my opinion when some people are really proud of the fact that they would never buy the Starbucks coffee because it's five bucks or whatever. Or they would never eat out or they buy, buy – hand- they only will, will buy used clothes or thrift store or whatever it is. And they're really kind of hanging their hat on that fact. But if you were to say to them, you know – if you would develop yourself and if you would sort of put your focus on your earning power over the next few years, you, you could buy all of those things really easily. But they they choose not to – that's scary to them in the same way that the spender finds it scary not to buy the coffee.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the, the same thing is true of both people. They won't deal with their fear and so they're acting irrationally. If they're not – doing things in full context, with with good context. Do you see what I'm saying? I totally see that, yep. So the hardcore spender, if you're spending the three grand a year on coffee and you're doing it at the expense of preparing for the future or, I don't know, at the expense of eating healthy food or what, whatever other things really matter to you.
1: Paying your mortgage.
0: <laughs> paying your mortgage, absolutely, <laughs> no, totally. But that's just as, um, that's unreasonable, but it's just as unreasonable to say, I'm going to spend my time in a profession where I can't improve my earning power, you know, where I'm not enriched by the work I do. And I can't, I can't grow. Both of them represent a poor use of resources. And so both deserve the same attention. So that's why anybody who really, I shouldn't say anybody, but Many, many people just have the, have a totally wrong idea about, about spending. I mean, it's just that simple. You, you need to be using your resources with full awareness of how each decision impacts the things that you really care about. And if you're making those decisions with full awareness, then it doesn't actually matter how you use those resources. And it doesn't matter what anybody else says about it.
1: So how did you learn
0: that? Uh, some of it, so some of it, I do come by a little bit naturally and that might sound weird, but I've been told, so I can't remember who told me this, but when you start to teach people things, you realize that you really have one of two origin stories for yourself as a teacher. You're either the person who was naturally good at the thing and never struggled with it, or you're the person who had to learn it the hard way. With money, i to learn certain aspects of it the hard way. I had to learn to take ownership of it, budget each dollar, keep full awareness of how every spending decision affected all my other spending decisions. That was I had to learn that the hard way, but the thing that comes easier for me is I just don't really care what people think.
1: <laughs> how do you get your clients to not care what people think?
0: <laughs> um, you know, sometimes I don't think I do that very effectively, but because it's kind of the hardest You know, the fear of missing out factor, which is related to caring what people think, it's one of the hardest things to overcome. And I have a lot of compassion for people who really struggle with that. Um, I, I don't have, I have not yet come up with a great answer or solution there, except I just constantly try to refocus my clients and myself on what I know that I care about. So I don't want anybody else to tell me what I care about. I want to figure out what I care about and then act accordingly. So in my client's case, you know, if you're receiving really hot email offers like for great programs or or you're seeing things on social media like, oh, they took a trip to wherever or, huh? you know, she bought whatever she bought or that family just got a new car. Um, that will trigger you, especially in an Instagram world where all of us are cherry-picking the very most shareable, noteworthy events and and, uh, purchases we're making. And then those things are being aggregated into one feed and making us as the viewers, as the consumer of that feed on our Instagram feed, looking at that and saying, this is what the world looks like. This is real. When the truth is, it's not real. It's just the cherry-picked... Smallest bits of reality from a million different people whose lives actually probably look a lot like ours, our very normal everyday life. So, in order to avoid that, you have to be really clear about this is what I care about. This is what I'm working on. This is what I'm trying to progress toward in my finances. And anything else that comes along, I'm not going to let that thing be shoved in my face and take the place of the thing that I've been really thoughtful about choosing for myself as a goal.
1: Hmm.
0: that's the that's the closest thing to a solution i've come up with mm-hmm.
1: so what about the people that are spending in line in in with intention and in alignment with what i say is with their values and their personal integrity um how do they spend differently
0: how do they spend differently mm-hmm Well, they just spend, that is how they spend differently. So we might, we might have the idea that they spend less because there's this sort of nobility around spending less. And I don't buy into that. Mm-hmm. For me, if I'm spending intentionally, I might be spending a lot. I just happen to be doing it that I'm spending a lot on today's values and I'm also spending a lot on things that I value in the future. And another word for that is savings. So people who are really intentional and people who really own their reality, they do acknowledge that they're going to have expenses five and 10 and 15 and 50 years from now. So they spend dollars on those future expenses in the form of saving. Um, That's probably one of the biggest differences that I see in people who end up being really quote-unquote good with their money, which just means highly aware and very intentional. They spend a lot of money on the future while they're also spending a lot of money on the present. The, the um, sort of the ideal image here that I would want to give people is that if you were a person that simultaneously learned to spend your money on things that really mattered to your health and happiness and also spend your time in a way that matters, that really impacts your health and happiness. And that often means improving your earning power, getting a new job, starting a business, whatever it may be. If you can find those skills in the same person, the ability to spend money really well and spend time really well, you've usually found a person who looks like you just sort of don't understand what's going on. Like, how are they able to do They seem to have everything they want and they seem to do everything they want. How is that possible? Well, it just means they've taken full ownership of their time and their money and worked at that over a period of years. And then they have money just honestly spilling out of their pockets. They really do. And it's something that's attainable for all of us if you take a long enough time horizon. If you say, I can't achieve that in a year. But if I make that a five-year project, You'd be amazed. I think we would all be amazed at what we can accomplish in five years.
1: So you're talking about a time horizon of five years.
0: Yeah, I'm, I plucked that number out of the air. More, I, I don't know if it's five. It might be two, three. It might be ten. The point is I think we overestimate what we can accomplish in a very short period of time, but we seriously underestimate the payoff of sticking with things for longer than is comfortable for most people.
1: Mm-hmm. That's true. So, with these people that um, are good at spending, or you know, spending and making money, do they have flaws?
0: the The trait that I see most in those people, if they if they sort of go too far in one direction, is that they can end up trying to control. Now, how do I want to say this? They they sometimes will have a fear mentality. You might find a person who's in that situation where the reason they have so much money on hand is because they have a fear of loss Mm
1: -hmm.
0: that in small doses seems like it'd be a healthy thing because it keeps you aware and it keeps you humble. Sort of like I need to keep some of these dollars today because I don't know exactly what's going to happen in the future. The extreme version of that that can get unhealthy is I'm going to hoard every dollar because I'm pretty sure something bad is going to happen. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And the the um, the high awareness personality, the the high clarity personality, if left totally unchecked, can end up in a control freak, fearful. Yeah, life is fine now, but it'll definitely get bad in the future. It, they can end up there, and you know, I don't, I don't want to end up there. I don't, I don't think anybody probably wants to end up there, but that's the flaw that I see in that personality more than any other.
1: Okay. That's fair enough. And then, do they ever have like most of their spending categories kind of down, but there's like one area where it's a little sloppy?
0: So actually, some of these people that I'm that I'm thinking of, they don't like they like to be really meticulous about areas that they deem kind of the essentials. So they're they're ticking boxes. They're saying, I know that my my major medical issues are going to be covered because I have health insurance and I have an emergency fund. Um, my 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 transportation needs are covered because my car is well maintained, and again, I have an emergency fund. Um, so they kind of tick the major boxes, but then they won't—you know—they're not—they're not categorizing or they're not budgeting for really inconsequential things. They're—they're they're budgeting for the big stuff, making sure that it's taken care of, mm-hmm. and then from there, they just kind of say, "Yeah, with what's left over, I just kind of do whatever." And your, Some of them. And your thoughts about that are. I think it's great. For me, here's the evolution that I've gone through. I, I can speak best about my experience. When I was learning this approach to managing money, this budgeting philosophy, where you, you're very intentional about every dollar. In the early days, I was really granular and meticulous. And I wanted, I mean, I was looking at it every day. And then what that did for me was to sort of reset my definitions of normal and appropriate in how I used my money. Mm-hmm. So it it just shifted my mindset over a period of time as I I was in this habit. Now, frankly, I'm not – I don't look at my budget, you know, where I keep track of everything. I don't look at it all that often because my habits are pretty well entrenched now.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I find that now that I've reset my definition of normal, I, I really don't deviate much from it. When something comes up, you know, if we have a major medical event or if we decide we want to take a trip that we – is, is sort of out of the ordinary for us. Then we will open up the budget and we'll say, okay, what, mo- what money do we need to move around in order, in order to facil- facilitate this thing we're talking about doing? Mm-hmm. But then once we've established how to get it done, we're fine. So and as an example, in my business, my business expenses are pretty lean and I don't deviate a lot within those business expenses. So I don't really have to keep very careful track of my business finances at this point. But I've recently had the idea that I would like to set up a new website, uh, get, you know, get it designed on a much more professional level. And so I met with a designer who I really trust and I told him, you just tell me how much money I'm going to spend on this website and then I'll go figure out how to make that work. And so he told me, I think he said, you know, it's $12,000 or something and, I said, okay, that's fine. And then I went back to my business budget and I opened it up and I started moving the money around to say, where does $12,000 fit into this budget over the next four months as I, as I make payments to him as different phases of the project get completed. So I could move money from this thing over to the new website and from that thing over to the new website. And then I could see how that felt. Well, do I, am I okay with the trade-off that I just made? Yes or no. But it's only really in those moments that I have to get really meticulous and granular because now my habits are set such that, you know, like when I get off this call, I think my wife and I are going to go to lunch and I'm not going to look at the budget before we do it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to know that well, it's, it's within our normal habits and it's not, going to, it's not going to break us. It's not going to put us in credit card debt. So it's an evolution where you have to start out being really meticulous and then over time the habits are formed and you can back off.
1: No, I do love that because I do think there needs to be, you know, when you dig your head out of the sand, that awareness of where am I spending? What am I spending my money on? And, and even then connecting with, do I get value? Do yes. I get enjoyment? You know, like for me, I really, really like my coffee. My listeners know this, you know, and so mm-hmm. I buy really good beans and I buy really good coffee. And, and again, I don't go out to coffee that much. Typically, it's more like once a week and then I make my coffee most of the time at home. Mm-hmm. But the way I've pretty much set up my life is that, just like you said, all of my big stuff is taken care of every month. It's already, the, and then whatever I get to go and spend and play with is whatever's left over. But that's like the fun money, right? So if I go, if I go choose to have coffee, <laughs> which for me is fun money, mm-hmm. it's not like oh wow, it's going to be sitting on my credit card. Because no. that's a boundary that I won't allow. That's just something that I've had ingrained. But then I'm pretty funny because I, I joke about this. In our town, like maybe about 24 months ago or so, uh, the the grocery stores um, have put a ban on uh, shopping bags. So if you don't bring your zone in, you have to pay 10 cents. Like I will not pay 10 cents for a <laughs> paper shopping bag. I just cannot. Like it pains me. I've, I've been known to carry stuff out and put it in there and i know it's so ridiculous but sometimes <laughs> right. a couple times my husband will come home i'm like what are you doing with the shopping bag we can't pay 10 cents which is not true right but right. it's it's that little fixation that i have because i'm like no, it for me there's no value in it we have the paper we have the other bags it's also an environmental thing right and i just don't want to do that but then here's something that i developed i don't know it's probably about 10 years ago um so, you know, I, I, I was shopping for, I don't know, some for, whenever I would go to the store to buy stuff for the house, even though the money was in the checking account, it still triggered guilt. Like, you know, you really shouldn't, this is frivolous. You shouldn't be buying this. Mm-hmm. And, and there was an energy drain in that. And so finally I said, forget it. I'm just going to get an account and I'm going to have money every month go off of my checking account into this. And when I want to make a purchase for the house, it's there. It's like an allowance, Right and I can be clean. And so at some point I was buying a new couch and my husband made a comment about like, well, how much is that? Gonna? Cause he has no value in couches. Like I have no value in paper bags. Mm-hmm. He's like, really? Why can't we just get this thing over? You know, like for him, aesthetics don't matter. And um, I'm like, no, this is the couch that I want. He's like, oh, you know? And I said, no, we have the money in this account. It was, it, it there, was, there wasn't there was even moving money. It was already there. It was, it was like fun money to go spend on something that we would really like and so I got this awesome couch that we've just loved that has you know really worked for our family but it was it came out of this account that I have that my husband always rolls his eyes he's like really and I go this just works for me it's my system because it gives it's like my little permission that hey you have this money you can go spend it on this this is what it's allocated for
0: it surprises me I mean no criticism of your husband but but it's like you, you, I don't roll my eyes at that. I don't think anybody, how, how could you roll your eyes at that? Because listen, all of us, when we spend, whether we're conscious of it or not, we have a voice in our head that it's asking us, how does this purchase impact my ability to make any other purchase? And we typically, if, if you're a normal person who doesn't, you know, I feel like it's unusual to, to do what you just did in a, that's, that's unusual in a good way. It also happens to be the way the budgeting philosophy that I subscribe to works. But if you don't have that, then all you can do when you want to buy the couch is look at the checking account balance where all the money sits and just say, well, can I afford the couch? I don't know. Well, I think so. Well, let's see. I'm getting a paycheck. And then you start doing the math in your head. And you always guess wrong. And then when you purchase the couch, there's that lingering sort of, you, you never know whether you were okay to make that couch. So for years later when people are like, Oh, I love your couch. You're like, Oh, I know. I love it. I, I probably shouldn't have bought it, but I love it. And if you do what you did, then it can be like, yeah, I love that couch. I saved up for it specifically. And then when I had the money for it, I bought it and I love it. And that's, that's freedom. So mm-hmm. you can do that. You can do that by having multiple bank accounts. You can also do it if you use the right kind of software because there's there's software out there that allows you to have, you know, in your budget, you'd put a category called Couch. And every month, <laughs> as money comes in, you would give a few dollars to Couch. And then every month, that money would pile up. And eventually, Couch would have $500 or $5,000, depending on the couch you want. And you'd go take the money, spend it, and then that'd be it. And people are like, well, that's weird. I thought a budget would be like, You know, you just have your rent, you have your utilities, you have your whatever. And they don't understand that you get to make up your budget. So you can have a category called couch. You can have a category called shoes. You can have any any category you want to have because it's the thing that you care about. And when new money comes into your life, you take some of that money and you give it to that thing that you care about.
1: So Mark, what's that thing you care about?
0: So my, my, uh, this is so boring, but I'm excited about it. My, my two financial priorities in my life right now are paying off a business loan that I have. And, um, with that done, I want to hire my, my first full-time employee. So that's my business. Those are like my biggest business priorities. And in my budget right now, every penny that I can spare is going into one of those two categories accelerating the payment of that business loan and being able to hire my full, full, first full-time employee. On the personal side, I will tell you that right now there are several hardwood floor samples kicking around this house. <laughs> and uh, so sometime in the next, I don't know, probably 6 to 12 months, depending on how quickly we can fill up the category, right? Because I'm mm-hmm. that the hardwood floor category will be there. Sometime in the next 6 to 12 months that... Um, that will happen. I will have to confess that I might be a little like your husband. I don't think I care as much about the hardwood floors, <laughs> but there will be indirect benefits. Yes. Um, so, those are the two. Those are the things that are going on in my finances right now.
1: Yes. No. He would probably rather me have, um, you know, software where it just accounted for it, mm. right? And but for me. I really like having separate accounts. It's 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 like the difference between a hard cu- reading a book in you know in paper form mm. versus on a Kindle. For some people, it's fine, and for some people, it's like no, I have to read a book or I can hold it physically in my hand.
0: So, th- so my question for you then, it feels like the limiting factor then is how many bank accounts are you willing to have? Because <laughs> <laughs> that- I've had clients where it's like We have eleven bank accounts. I'm like. Well, there's a better way. Yeah, that's
1: that's what drives him crazy. Because then I have to reconcile all those accounts. Oh,
0: the, bo- <laughs> the bookkeeper in me just had a seizure. There's a better way. <laughs> you know, here's the thing. It's the weirdest thing for people when, when I and I had this experience. The software that I use is called You Need a Budget, and my good friend happened to be the founder. And I resisted for years. I resisted using his software, buying into his philosophy. Meanwhile, he's one of those people with money spilling out of his pockets because he knows how to spend his time and how to spend his money. We were at lunch one time and we were talking about finances and we're really transparent with each other. I mean, I would tell that guy anything about my finances down to the nitty gritty. And somehow it came up, like, well, how much is in your checking account right now? And I don't remember what was in mine, probably nothing. It was probably zero. And I was like, well, how much is in your checking account right now? And he looked at me and goes, I don't know. I'm like, what? what do you mean you don't know how much is in your checking? You have to know how much is in your checking account. He said, no, I have no idea. He's like, it's lots of thousands. I can tell you that. And I was so dumbfounded. Like, what do you, I don't, I can't even wrap my brain around what you're saying. Well, what he was saying was he doesn't look at his bank account balance because that's not what drives his spending. He opens up his software and his software, you know, the individual categories, those are the balances that matter. So, I have $1,000 to spend in groceries. I have $5,000 to spend on vacation. He looks at the category balances and makes his decisions about what to spend. So he didn't need to know what his checking account balance was. And that was, for me, one of the major light bulb moments where I was like, I I want that. I want to I want to be able to know that I have permission to spend on this thing that I'm excited about. And I can just go full speed in that direction. Um, but, but I do get the the digital book versus versus paperback. I, I can support that as long as you don't have to have like 15. <laughs> <bank> <laughs> no, I'm not at 15 yet, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're, the thing is, Corinne, you're one of those people. Why we talked about this the other day when we met you, you're one of those people that has just figured out your system and your system is the right system because it works for you. Mm-hmm. And that is great. So people need, We just, all of us need to take ownership of our money and we need to find the system that works for us. It might be bank accounts, the way you do it. It might be software, the way way I do it. Some people use physical paper envelopes and store cash in them.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, That gives me hives, but (laughs) it works really, really well for the people who have fully bought into it and made it work for them. And so all that matters is finding a system that allows you to take ownership of the money in your life and lets you use it. To, to move your happiness needle.
1: I love that. That is a great way for us to close today. So Mark, thank you so much for being a guest today. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: So that's Mark Butler from BudgetNerd.me. And of course, there'll be links to his uh, sh- website on the pot, uh, the show notes. And I, now I want to circle back to some of the things that we talked about. So why money and shame? There's so much shame about money. And because we we get into the scarcity culture of there's not enough. And it doesn't matter, there can be people that are making money that you would think would be incredible amounts of money and they may believe there's still not enough. So understanding where those actions are rooted in are really important. And that was kind of the difference that he and I were talking about is that when people are in that rooted in shame and then they go and make a purchase what's the result of that versus maybe that same action, maybe that same purchase. But when you're rooted in compassion and compassionate people have boundaries, right? So whatever it is that it is aligned with your values and your integrity. And what's the result of that? Do you have more happiness? Do you have more joy? Are you just really excited? Like when I buy my coffee, I can tell you I'm just like so excited. There's no guilt. There's no remorse. You know, I, there's probably a part of me my 20 year old self would be like, really? You're spending $5 for a cup of coffee. That is so ridiculous. But for me, I celebrate it. I'm like, oh, this is so yummy and this. I love it. It's such a, it's so such a treat for me. And then again, I won't spend 10 cents on a paper bag. So understanding those, that's the the truth of us and understanding that and getting out of money shame and really being grounded in your wholehearted self, where you can use your brain and use your logic like Mark's talking about like, okay, what's the facts? Like there's no judgment if you want to have a shoe budget or a makeup budget or wine budget. Where is this money going to come from to be able to create that choice for you? And I love how he talks about, I am choosing. When I work with weight loss clients, it's always about what do you want to choose? You know, you guys hear me talk a lot about being the boss of yourself. The last thing I want when I think of the word budget is somebody else is telling me what I'm allowed to do. And I want to be the boss of myself. I want to be the leader in my life. I want to get to choose. So what are my values? What's really important to me? Where do I want to spend the money? And if I may not have enough money right now for that purchase or that thing that I want, what can I do to create that income? Maybe for those of you that have a traditional job. Maybe, you know, it might be making jewelry at night and having an Etsy store. I, that's not something that I could do, but maybe that's what you do. Maybe you have a side hustle. My friend Pam Slim, a um, frequent guest on the show, she's, she's always talking about having the side hustle, right? What's something that you can do on the side? I've had relatives who worked in public service and then they had side businesses, whether it was lawn care or something for when they were off that they could create more income. So thinking about that way, and that's rooted in compassion, that's rooted in wholeheartedness because you're not in scarcity. You're not sitting there having a pity party with yourself like, oh, woe is me. You're saying, okay, here's how much money I make. Here's the things that I want to spend my money on, or these are my budget goals or lifestyle goals that I want to have. And there may be a shortfall, but not look at it from a place of lack. Instead, look at it from a place of like creativity. What can I grow from this? What can, you know, what are the things that I can do to help fill out this gap? You know, and sometimes it may be like saying, okay, while I would like to spend, you know, he used the uh, example of shoes, so I'll use it. While I'd like to spend X on shoes, I'm going to do 60% of X because right now there's a shortfall that, you know, it's at this point I would like at a certain point. I would like to have filled, but it's not going to happen right now. And again, that time horizon is really important. I think so often, or I really believe this, so often we want change to happen rather quickly. And for those of you who can do that rather quickly, yay you. For people who maybe like me, where we're slow learners um, and we fall down and have to get back up and fall down and get back up and maybe go backwards a bit, we'll get there it just may take longer. Michelle Woodward and I've talked about the tortoise and the hare, right? Knowing who you are and just knowing that sometimes we take the long road. And for me, calling myself a slow learner, even though intellectually I can pick things up rather quickly, but really about integrating it, it takes me time. Like the money stuff that I have going on, it wasn't, it wasn't a system that I created overnight and I had it it was, there was trials and there's errors. There was doing what I thought I was supposed to do. There's trying to figure out how other people did it. Um, and then there was just systems that I was like, like with the different accounts that made sense to me. That was something that I really, really liked. Um, and I think in all honesty, some of the accounts I was able to open because, or I opened them because they gave you some sort of, you know, cash back bonus or something. This was probably 15 or 20 years ago. So, you know, paying attention and going, what works for me? What doesn't work for me? And then as he was saying for me is that as your, as your life changes, look at, okay, how many accounts am I actually managing? Is that worth the time? Or maybe there would be, you know, a software system that would be better. And he has the, I'll have the links to YNAB. Um, I've looked at that through the years because I know lots of people who use it and I'm personally not ready to take that on, but I have a system in place with plus software that I currently use. Um, that works for me. Remember years ago I had, oh gosh, I just lost mint.com founder on the show and we talked about mint and, you know, back then there was even concern about how you're letting this app have access to your financial information and it was read only, but there was still concern. I think I had him back on the show back in 2009. So where financial software has gone is, is really changed. So paying attention to that, you know, being able to input stuff, on your phones. I mean, that's one of the things that I do now. And I have become, gosh, I really don't like this word, but disciplined about it. And disciplined in the sense that I like the word, I like the phrase honor commitments to myself instead, because discipline is not how I've ever thought of myself, even though, you know, realistically, I'm rather disciplined person, but um, I honor commitments to myself. So, you know, when I'm at the grocery store, I'll plug it into my app when I make a purchase, I try to do that and to alleviate some of the work later on of the reconciliation process that I go through. So creating systems that work with you and that are realistic that you can actually do is really, really important in getting like your kind of your financial house in order. And the other thing is that I hope with Mark's interview, remember he said that there was, his money was a mess and now he's the CFO to others. He's a bookkeeper. He's a consultant. He's a, um, a confident to all these small business owners and he helps them with their money. That's been his, as Martha Beck would call it, his hell and back. And he's come out the other side and he's learned from it. So don't think that, oh, you know, because another big shame trigger and shame story that you could have is I really messed up. I haven't done this perfectly. It's too late for me, right? It's time to just get your head out of the sand and start taking a look at it from a place of compassion, not being judgmental. But from a place of compassion, like taking a look and going, okay, what got me here from a compassionate place? Like I would build that container saying like, make a commitment to yourself. I'm not going to judge myself. I'm not going to tell myself I'm an idiot, even though I have this big fancy degree or this big fancy career, whatever it may be. But how did I get here? Right. And let's unpack this from a compassionate place. That way I can look at this much more you know, unemotionally and saying, okay, interesting. I spent money on X. Hmm. Did I, What was the intended result that I was looking for? And did I get it? Like his example of the tropical island vacation, where probably my, I would imagine that vacation is to have fun, to be able to relax. Well, when you put everything on a credit card, is that the result that you're getting when you're there? And if it's not, take a look at that. So I want to thank you so much for listening and Mark's agreed to come back. So we're going to have more conversations. So if you have questions, shoot me an email and speaking of email, I invite you to subscribe to my weekly newsletter. It comes out every Friday and I'm building a community. It seems like we're going really slow with the website and we really, really are. Um, The fall has been full of wonderful tech learning opportunities Not that I want to do the tech myself because I'm not, but it's been a very good learning opportunity. So anyways, go to my website at howshereallydoesit.com and sign up and be a part of this community. You'll get the newsletter there and that's an opportunity for you and I to connect. People really, really matter to me. While I can't answer everybody's emails, I do read them all and I think about you and I think about how this show can help you. Who are the resources that I can bring forward or the topics? To give you some answers so maybe you'll email me a question and it may become the the part of i call it the love letter like the letter that i write to you or it may become a show topic so you never know and a special thanks to mark for joining us and then i want to do a shout out because i just love getting those itunes reviews they're just they're fun for me they're just a, a bit of delicious fun and arizona slp thank you so much for taking the time. I know it's a bit tedious of a process and leaving an iTunes review. So big shout out to you until next time. Remember, compassion is the antidote to shame. So if you have shame about money and you have these stories of not enough, I invite you to be compassionate towards yourself, self-kindness, realizing that common humanity that we all struggle with this. Mark gave you a lot of examples and mindfulness you know understanding what are the stories and the feelings that you have around it and then how can you move through it that's what the show's always been about i'm smiling big for you take care
0: On lake, she is dreaming she is drifting never been so wide Ooh.
1: And no, I didn't forget, here is the little soundbite that Mark and I circled back to about what he was talking about with educational materials and coaching. So let's talk about how you threw coaching under the bus.
0: (laughs) Which I didn't, but it is good that we're going to clarify. It is. Because most of my clients, as you know, most of my clients are coaches. So I'm Mm -hmm. obviously a fan of coaching. I'm only opposed to a coaching purchase when that purchase fits the criteria that we've already talked about in a bad way, which means I'm buying it out of fear or boredom or avoidance for doing the work that I know will move me forward. Those are the wrong reasons to buy coaching. The right reason to buy coaching is I'm operating at a certain level in my business. I know that there's a coach that can help me go to a different level and I'm going to make that investment. So I have, to be really clear, you know, I might tell one client that I think it's ridiculous to spend $2,000 on a coaching program that she's considering. But I'll tell another client that I think she's right to spend $50,000 on a coaching program that she's considering. Mm -hmm. And it's just all about context and all about why are you making this purchase? So if we want to get kind of nitty gritty, if I have a client who says, you know, I'm operating at about and my business is doing a couple hundred thousand a year. I really sort of feel like the best manifestation of my goals is to go to a seven-figure business. Then I'll say, let's find you a coach that can take you from two hundred thousand to a million. And the reality is, that's probably a thirty to fifty thousand dollars investment, if we're talking about, you know, working privately with somebody who's capable of showing you that path. Mm-hmm.
1: Well thanks Mark for that clarification.
0: <laughs> I'm all for coaching no make no mistake. <laughs>